0: From South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on May 6, 2023 from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. But what hasn't changed is that this is our 12th live taping episode. That's right, folks. We got back on the road uh, slash made y'all come to us for South Carolina Public Radio's 50th anniversary open house here in Columbia. And to celebrate, we brought AP reporters and friends of the pod, Meg Kennard and Jeffrey Collins on to discuss the campaign trail in the 2023 legislative session. Now, if you didn't make it out to Columbia, or maybe you did, and you want to give us a shout, you can do so by giving us a call at 803-563-7169. Let us know where we need to come to next. Okay, now without further ado, we bring you our live taping from South Carolina ETV studios here in Columbia. For the South Carolina lead. And this week in South Carolina, our crossover episode with our live studio audience here in Columbia for our 50th anniversary celebration of South Carolina Public Radio. Joining me with this wonderful crowd is Meg Kennard and Jeffrey Collins with the Associated Press. We're here to talk a lot about politics, the State Assembly and what's going on in Columbia. So Jeffrey, without further ado, let's just jump into the legislative session. Obviously, we're taping this on May 6th. Um, we're kind <laughs> to time travel a bit with this TV episode because the session will play out this week. This will air later on Friday evening. But tell us what we can expect in this final week of the session, Jeffrey. It sounds like abortion's coming back up. We saw that bill die in the Senate. How's it gonna play out in the House at this point? We'll see how my prediction skills work. <laughs> um, so,
1: abortion will probably, if not dominate, it will certainly be a key thing that happens. And and you know, you kind of have to read the tea leaves a little bit. They're, they've uh, already. It looks like that bill that passed the Senate earlier this year, the heartbeat bill, you know, the one that bans abortion from the time cardiac activity can be detected. It sounds like the House is at least going to take that up because a total ban or near total ban that the House wanted to have is not going to work. Yeah. So at this point, you know it looks like that Senate bill will end up in committee, probably get passed out of the House committees and end up on the House floor. The key is, do the, do the House members change it in any way? Because if they change it in any way, then the Senate's gonna have to approve and depending on the changes that get made, you know, the Senate's margin was razor thin to pass it in the first place. So if any changes get made that the, you know, the, the three women who are Republicans or the two men who are Republicans who have opposed the total ban <laughs> don't like, the votes may not be there to pass it. So next week, it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. I suspect that's part of the reason that next week is not the last week of the session.
0: (laughs) I know it's really hard to talk backwards and forwards at the same time, but Jeffrey, why didn't this just happen sooner in the session, right? We saw the Senate debate that six-week ban that you were talking, the near total ban that we're talking about. They passed their six-week ban earlier uh, in session, but why wait to this last minute? Was it it to prove a point, was it to build pressure? What's going on here?
1: as long as we're traveling back in time, let's yes. go back a few years to where the, the heartbeat ban originally got passed before mm-hmm. the Supreme Court overturned Roe v.ersus Wade. So when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v.ersus Wade, a lot of people in South Carolina, a lot of Republican leadership in South Carolina felt like they could pass a near total ban. They, you know, well, that's the next step. But you know, things happened after that ruling. I mean, people, the, the appetite to totally ban abortion suddenly wasn't there as much as people thought. And so, you know, the House leadership, which is a little more conservative, wants that total ban. But the Senate, they can't get the votes for it. And so it became a game of chicken this year essentially. You know, the each, you know, the House passed its near total ban, the Senate passed its six-week ban, and waiting for one side or the other to blink. And what's happened over the last 6 months is you know, more stricter abortion laws have been passed in Florida, which I believe is a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. North Carolina is 10 to 12 weeks. It looks like that's gonna pass through their legislature. So suddenly South Carolina is at somewhere between 20 and 22 week ban. And we're definitely an outlier in the Southeast. And, you know, we're typically not, we're typically not at that point in the South. We're typically one of the more conservative states yeah. in the Southeast. So that's been one of, and that, that's kind of finally pushing this towards a resolution, I think, is, is the Republican leadership in the Senate, in the governor's mansion, in the House, they don't want another you know, six to nine months of that kind of 2022 20, week ban. So I think there will be a resolution. We'll just have to see how it works out.
0: But again, if they don't pass that bill, at the end of session this week, like we're talking about, looking ahead, then they can't come back unless the governor calls them back because that's not gonna be in the sine die resolution, which stipulates what they can do in the off season. Right, and that's,
1: that's another thing that's gonna happen this year that had happened in a long time. They aren't passing a signe die resolution, which d- the sine die is kind of like the, the blueprint for what they can talk about when the regular session's over. Typically, they'll put a few things in there, like we're gonna talk about this one issue and about the budget, mm-hmm. but if there's not a sine die passed, which like I said, hasn't happened this century in South Carolina, then the governor is the only one that can call them back. And when he calls them back, it's wide open to anything. Mm. So you know, if you read the tea leaves and kind of look at things, it sounds like they don't have enough time next week to finish abortion and some other things. So I suspect you'll see the governor call them back into session. And in fact, almost like almost like a tie football game, we'll have overtime. What mm-hmm. they is that next week we'll come back in. It'll probably be fairly regular, like a regular week. They'll deal with abortion if they can, or whatever other things they have. And then maybe there's an, uh, some budget things. That get dealt with, but it sounds like they're gonna wrap up their work by the end of the month, but we'll have mm-hmm. that extra time. Mm-hmm. So Thursday is not the end of the session.
0: <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yes. Um, but Jeffrey, let's talk about some things that have happened. We saw the governor uh, sign the Education Scholarship Trust Fund or Voucher Bill until all this past week. Tell us about that, that was a long time coming, a big win for Republicans in the state. Uh, what does that bill do, what does that law do, I should say, and who does it benefit?
1: The uh, What the bill does is it allows uh, Public money to be spent on private school tuition, on books, on technology, things like that, and um, and it's capped at eventually at 15,000 students. It'll start off at 5,000, mm-hmm. and there's also an income level that you know a, 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 that you get to, and it was like you know if you make too much, you can't get to it. Eventually, though, the income level will go up to about $120,000. But mm-hmm. this will allow in three years, 15,000 students across the state to go to private schools, and um, provide, and then if it works, you'll probably see it expanded. This has been something Republicans have wanted for a long time. Mark Sanford ran on it in 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh, first bill that we were talking to some Republican leaders, they remember 2004 being the first bill that was introduced. There's been three governors since then. Mm-hmm. There's been, you know, four House speakers, five education superintendents, so it took a while, but um, ultimately, they finally were able to get it passed this year, and that I think we'll be counted, Republicans certainly will count that as one of their biggest wins.
0: Yeah, and especially for Ellen Weaver, the new superintendent of education, yes. that's a big win for her too. Um, but we saw that bill die last year too, it was surprising. So what kind of had to get worked out for that to become, uh, I guess, to the, get to the governor's desk this year?
1: Yeah, that was that was a very big surprise, one of the biggest surprises of last year. But I just think in the end, there was some worry about accountability, whether or not that there needed to be testing done, that the students that were getting these vouchers, should they be tested and things of that nature. And I just, it was one of those deals where sometimes in South Carolina legislation, it just needs like a little tweak and maybe in one more year gives people under, gives people a little impetus to it. Mm-hmm. I did note that, you know, it originally passed the house, the Senate changed it some, but the house didn't change it because mm-hmm. I didn't think they, they didn't want to send it back yeah. to the Senate to give it any chance. I mean, you know, that's another South Carolina thing. A lot of times, sometimes you take, Eighty percent of what you want, or seventy percent of what you want, just because you don't want to end up in the same place again.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, good getting in the way of the perfect, or perfect getting in the way of the good. Yes. Um, sticking with teachers, sticking with education, we did see that uh, teacher pay time leave was also a big bill moving. Is that going to the governor's desk yet? I know it just got through the Senate. It's kind of yes, it, well, close. it should.
1: I think they made this minor change, but there's those every indication it's passing. You know. Almost unanimously, if not unanimously, so yes, it's it will probably get on the governor's desk, but certainly before the end of the month.
0: And that's six weeks for teachers if they adopt or if they have a child, just parental time off. Right, and it kind of
1: it fits a little a little odd loophole they had because state employees got that last yes. year. They passed that for all state employees, but teachers are a different group. They're state employees, but they're considered different, so mm-hmm. they had to come back around. and And the six weeks is one of the longest amounts of leave time in the southeast, so mm-hmm. it is a. It is an impressive win for state employees and teachers.
0: And then when we talk about the budget, we're talking about teachers, we're talking about pay raises too. Uh, what's the budget looking like right now, Jeffrey? The Senate got it through, sent it back to the House. Any big changes there? Anything that people should maybe be paying attention to with what's going on? Because we have so much money. We're about to get, I think, more money uh, announced from state economists as well. Like sacks of money I mean it's, just <laughs> a, it's, a,
1: it's amazing for somebody who sat through you know the recession in 2008 and uh-huh. and budgets that were barely in the single digits of billions I mean they, they this year's budget is 12 13 depending you want to look at about 13 billion dollars mm-hmm. um, one of the big things state raises for all state employees they've been trying to catch up salaries for teachers and state employees that didn't they didn't get raises when times were a little more lean over the past decade so that was a big one um, honestly, they're kind of both in the same place. I mean, the, the one biggest difference I saw is the Senate didn't include money for roads and bridges that the House and the governor wanted. Yeah. But that being said, there's going to be a meeting of the folks that you know predict how much money South Carolina gets, and that's on Tuesday. And chances are there will be another nine-figure addition to the budget. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. And so those few things that didn't get into the budget, suddenly they may be able to get in there. So, you know, it's been a very mild budget fight compared to other years. And in fact, you know, I'm not, you know, everyone around the state house is saying, don't expect a lot of vetoes from the governor even. I think everybody's very happy, which, you know, if you have a lot of money, it's easy to be, it doesn't buy happiness, but it can yeah. rent it, you know?
0: <laughs> it can buy you a boat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but kind of along that line, Jeffrey, too, just talk about some bills that uh, didn't really go anywhere that you thought maybe were going to go somewhere, i.e. medical marijuana. I mean, that was supposed to be a big one this year for Tom Davis. Uh, it got through the Senate last year, died in the House last year, was set to like rock and roll through the Senate this year, and then all of a sudden, no yeah, dies. That was a surprise.
1: I mean, because medical marijuana, we looked like we were, last year, it looked like it was coming to a vote in the House. It passed the Senate, and it looked like it was coming to a vote in the House, and they had a procedural Uh, rule that I won't bore everybody by going into great (laughs) details, but essentially the uh, the speaker of the house at the time, Speaker pro-tem Tommy Pope, ruled that it was out of order and Mm -hmm. so that killed the bill last year. So we all kind of figured it would be one of those things that gets into the same position this year but no, I mean the Senate had an opportunity to place it in in a spot where they could debate it fairly immediately and they didn't. And so and take it out of committee and put it prominent. So that was kind of a surprise and I think Everybody's still kind of scrambling to figure out exactly what's going on. Um, Tom Davis has done a lot of work on other bills. He's the chief sponsor and been fighting for medical marijuana for going on a decade now. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised if sometime in, in this upcoming week they do something to help out Tom, Tom's bill. The um, other thing, well, another bill that I've been, that I, I won't say I'm surprised, mm-hmm. but it's ended up in the same spot as the hate crimes bill. Mm-hmm. You know, South Carolina and Wyoming are the only states in the in the union that don't have a bill specifically making hate crimes uh, enhancing penalties when you do Get when you commit to. a crime an assault something like that based on hatred of someone's race age sexual orientation those kind of things and um, once again the bill has gotten to the same place it's gotten before it passes the less the more conservative house but it ends up and it, and then it gets through the Senate committees but it sat on the floor mm-hmm. and that's been something that's caused a lot of friction in the Senate between Democrats and Republicans it's really There's, like I said, it's one of those undercurrent kind of things, but there's a lot of anger that it hasn't come on the Democratic side that hadn't even come up for a vote yet, that it sat on the Senate floor for basically two years now and Mm -hmm. nothing.
0: And Jeffrey, that goes back to the Senate, having that ability to block bills and then just use them as bartering chips too, which is what we're seeing a lot of this this week especially.
1: Yes. Uh, You know, there's this procedure called putting your name on a bill where you put an objection on a bill, and unless they're able to get it into, like, do some legislative maneuvering, get it into what they call special you know, special order status or things like that, that mm-hmm. when someone puts an objection on the bill, it's just very difficult to bring up. And so Democrats did put a bunch of objections on bills last week. That kind of forces them into bargaining situations. Maybe, okay, we'll we'll hear this bill if you'll take your name on it. And it's not just Democrats that do that. The, the hate crime bill is several Republicans that put their name on it, and that it happens all the time. That's one of those legislative
0: things, you know? Yeah. And then when we talk about penalty enhancements for hate crimes, we're also talking about some other penalty enhancements when it comes to bond reform. That was a big push for Republicans, too, to get done. Is that going to make it across the finish line, too, before session ends?
1: Yes. Both the House and the Senate have passed their own versions of the the bond bill. There's differences. Like, one key difference is the House bill and the one that the governor supports would uh, allow somebody that commits a violent crime while they're on bail to have five years added to their sentence. Mm Why, where the Senate took that out, and the Senate's problem was well that may or may not be constitutional the constitutional question is okay, so I was in jail for an assault and then I committed a crime another assault while then on bond, but I get found not guilty of the first one. Can I get five years for something I was never found guilty of in the first place so there you know that 's why the Senate took that out now. Again, we, the governor last week was pretty adamant he wants some kind of enhanced punishment. So the the couple of uh, lawmakers from the House and a couple of lawmakers of the Senate will come together in a conference committee and negotiate that out. I think that happens. I, it's, 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 everyone wants it, and it's one of the and it's one, Henry McMaster, the governor, has been pushing for it hard. So I think that one you'll see.
0: And Jeffrey, before we jump to Meg really quick, I wanna ask you about just some gun reform legislation too that might go through and we're talking about uh, making sure that felons can't carry weapons in the state. What's going on with uh, with all those bills at this point?
1: Well, that that was another thing that the governor last week was very adamant about, that he wants a bill passed in some way, somehow, however it works, that it would allow someone, if, if a felon's in possession of a gun, which is illegal, then they would get an extra sentence in state court. It's a federal law, but. You know, sometimes it's hard to kick things into federal court if there's not necessarily a place to be. It just would be easier, like a one-stop shop, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you have a felon who has a gun, sticks up a convenience store, well, you don't have to push that into federal court, you just have that all done in the state court. The other, and I think that will probably end up happening, it's just a matter, there's probably been a lot of texting and talk over the weekend about how they're going to figure that out, but I think that's going to end up happening. Mm -hmm. Um, The other interesting gun issue is constitutional carry is what they call it, where basically anyone that could legally have a gun could carry it anytime, anywhere they wanted, as long as it was allowed. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can't carry it like in a grocery store or places that prohibit it, but you could carry it anywhere. Um, I've been told, you know, that bill is right now stuck in a Senate subcommittee. It passed the House. Uh, I've been told there will at least be some efforts to try to pull that thing up some way, somehow, because there's a lot of Republicans that want that to happen. You know, South Carolina a few years ago passed the, the open carry, but you had to have a concealed weapons permit. So, you know, there's some people that are like, well, I think we're okay there, but no, I think there yeah. will be a big push. Now, if it passes, that's more of a coin
0: flip, I think. And again, if things don't pass this week, they're still alive till next year, two year session, that's when things get really fun because it's an election year for everyone too. So yes, yes, and next
1: year, 2024, <laughs> everything stays alive until then. So let's and see it's what a happens. big
0: election year, isn't it, Meg Connard? Right? Oh
1: my goodness, <laughs> just a
2: little
0: bit. Yeah. So Meg, um, tell us a little about like your role at the AP. Obviously, Jeffrey covers the statehouse primarily, but you also uh, cover South Carolina. You used to cover more of it, but now you're part of the Washington bureau. Kind of give people an idea about. Your role at AP?
2: Sure, yeah. Fortunately for me, I still get to stay living here in South Carolina, working in South Carolina, but I work for Washington um, for our national political unit, our national politics team. So my focus, especially this year and next year, is the presidential race. All the candidates who are coming here to campaign, kind of keeping tabs on what's going on both with the Democrats and the Republicans leading into 2024. Um, but I get to do all of that for you know national coverage, but still being here in South Carolina, where I've been with the AP and also been living for 18 years. So. Um, I feel like, you know, it kind of gives me a good perspective while I'm covering national politics. I'm based out here, and what I like to say, you know, I get to live in the real world, <laughs> but still cover politics. Um, so I think that adds richness to our coverage, especially when it deals with politicians and issues pertinent to South Carolina. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing.
0: Can you tell us who's going to win the race?
2: Well, <laughs> we're about to have our big meeting to decide, so I'll, I'll make sure to fill you all
0: in. Speaking of that, Meg, we've been bouncing around the state. It's really nice. We get to travel together, we get to see the different places of the state and hear from these candidates. Face to face, big news was this past week when we were down in Charleston hearing from Senator Tim Scott, who made uh, no bones about it, that he will be jumping in the race later this month. Which well, he is just
2: said he's going to have a special a bit, big announcement, big major announcement, yes. which
0: you know could be any number of things. AD. But it's nice when they give us a heads up, yeah, right? It is nice,
2: <laughs> we're not just surprise. So, so kind
0: of tell us how you think that's going to affect the race. I was talking to Nikki Haley the other day on This Week in South Carolina, trying to pin her down about how that's going to affect mm. her candidacy, because again, so similar in so many ways. How do you see this shaping up?
2: It is really interesting to have covered as many cycles as we all have. I think this is my fifth cycle Mm -hmm. or sixth, I don't know. Um, I've been covering presidential politics um, since 2004. But to be in an early state, um, obviously there's a lot of importance on South Carolina. We're the first primary in the South for Republicans, we're the first primary in the country now for Democrats. So there's a lot of interest here anyway. But now on top of that, we have two homegrown candidates who have both been in statewide elected office in South Carolina, have been re-elected multiple times at that level, and are also longtime allies, and have considered each other friends at certain points in the past, have drawn on the same donor base, supporter base. Um, even use the same consultants for a time. So now to have both Tim Scott and Nikki Haley in the race for the GOP presidential nomination—that's an unprecedented event, certainly for me as a political reporter. But I think all of us here in, in South Carolina, we can't help but watch it closely.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a lot going on in it's South just gonna Carolina, be a lot. right? Yeah, yeah. and it, <laughs> yeah. like we have seen that division, right? We've seen like staffers, for example. We've seen like you're talking about donors. So it is mm-hmm. interesting to see that play out because. You know, money is obviously key to this and going the distance and Tim has plenty of it. We saw the governor raise a good bit of money, but you got to keep raising money to keep going the distance to make it to February of 2024.
2: Absolutely. Money is key. And, you know, there's obviously when you're a candidate at any level, particularly these presidential candidates that we're watching, They're getting out to a lot of states that might not know them as well as South Carolina certainly spending time in Iowa and New Hampshire and the other places that factor in in early ways in the nominating calendar, but even within here in in South Carolina, uh, there's a huge competition for those donor dollars and frankly to be able to make those trips out to other parts of the country to keep that campaign mechanism going, you have to have the money. But then it's circular because you also have to be able to show your donors that you're a good bet, and so they should keep giving you money so you can keep making those trips. And when you've been drawing on, in large part, a very similar pool of donors, that's tough, particularly for these two South Carolina candidates.
0: We were talking about uh, Nikki Haley and her responses to a lot of different topics, but abortion's been a big one, obviously. We were just talking about it, and we are seeing it play out in South Carolina. It's interesting that we are a state, we don't have a very strong abortion law in some respects for folks who don't think that we do. Uh, she signed that 20-week bill that law, into law when she was in here. So what, why was she so kind of hard to pin down? You saw the interview I did with her. I was trying to hear, like, do you want a six-week ban? Do you want a near total ban? Is it okay where we are right now? It, it's hard to pin them mm-hmm. down. Why is that, in your opinion?
2: It's tough. I mean, abortion is certainly, there are many issues that are going to play into this primary in large roles, but abortion is the moment right now. Like, that's just kind of the issue dating back to the Dobbs decision from the Supreme mm-hmm. Court last year, but certainly within the GOP primary, all the candidates are kind of being asked to put down a marker and show, okay, where, is, where are you on this position? Where do you think that, you know, the deadlines or any of the, the rules of the road, so to speak, should be? And you know, even for, particularly for Nikki Haley who had this big abortion policy speech that mm-hmm. she was going to give a couple of weeks ago, and she did, and she gave it at a major um, anti-abortion groups headquarters in Washington. She didn't lay down those, those markers. She didn't lay down those deadlines. She talked about the need for a national consensus on the issue, which sounds great when you're trying to figure out what's the best path forward on a difficult issue. But in a campaign that's Mm -hmm. focused a lot on the numbers, the number of weeks, the deadlines, those kinds of things, she didn't really put that marker down in the sand. And from a political policy standpoint, again, I'm just an observer in this process, I'm no expert, but when candidates do kind of set out those concrete deadlines and policy positions, that gives their opponents in the race a pretty specific place to go after them, should they so choose, a point of disagreement. And by not doing that, that does make it a little bit more difficult for other candidates in the race to say, well, I disagree with her. Well, she didn't necessarily say explicitly where she thinks this issue should be. So maybe she bought herself a little bit more time to try to you know, perhaps eventually come to a number. But like you referenced, the governor, when she was governor, did sign, you know, a 20 to 22 week ban, depending on how, you know, you kind of consider the issue. Mm -hmm. And in terms of other states that are putting through far more restrictive policies lately, that's, you know, a pretty generous timeline. So, you know, we don't really know where she is personally if she's changed from, you know, back when she was governor with the weeks. Mm-hmm.
0: We have about five minutes left. Megan, I want to talk about some other candidates race. We were originally going to have this open house back in January, but it was the same day as President Trump making his announcement, his big swing through South Carolina. Yeah. And we were both there too, but we haven't seen the former president back in South Carolina since. Why is that, do you think? He's making rounds other places, but is it just he doesn't feel like he needs to? I mean, he's leading the polls in so many mm-hmm. places, including South Carolina.
2: Yeah, former President Trump really has maintained high popularity here since he was in office and certainly when he ran um, two times before. Um, So he may be looking at South Carolina as a place where he does have a lot of support and he knows it. He's got the governor. Um, already vocally supporting him as well as Senator Lindsey Graham and several members of the congressional delegation so you know he may it's it's not like he's just saying oh yeah that's in my win column I know it but you know perhaps focusing on some other areas between now and then and honestly he may be letting Nikki Haley and Tim Scott and potentially Ron DeSantis also kind of you know compete for whatever tier you would consider that of the candidate level mm-hmm. um, at this point and then you know, I'm sure we'll see him back for too long
0: yeah, because we also did see Florida Governor Ron DeSantis mm-hmm. up in the upstate in Spartanburg a, a couple days ago. Uh, pretty big turnout there, too. What's your read on that situation and his reception so far? I mean, he has not declared yet, but right. he's anticip- it's anticipated they will pretty soon. Yeah. What was your take when we saw that crowd?
2: I, there were certainly a lot of people who I think are, are very curious. You know, they've been waiting for, to see how this campaign shakes out. We're still very early, even though I keep we've been saying that for months, and it's, it was very early then, and it's still early now. But I think there's a, a high level of curiosity when it comes to Ron DeSantis and what kind of candidacy he could put forward. Um, We have seen some members of the legislature saying that they're willing to be behind him should he eventually announce the campaign that we're all presuming is getting ready to happen. Um, But especially in a state like South Carolina with two homegrown candidates as well as former President Donald Trump being very popular, it's kind of a waiting game. And and people, frankly, are telling us they really want to hear more from Ron DeSantis. They're glad he made that trip Mm -hmm. and he came to South Carolina and did a couple of events. But they really expect to see candidates more since this is an early primary state. And so they're wanting to see more commitment from him to spend the time here.
0: We haven't seen too many barbs being thrown at either of them yet. I mean, we saw Nikki Haley kind of saying that stuff about uh, Disney and Florida Mm -hmm. and like kind of wading into it too. And then, you know, the supporters of DeSantis kind of jumping on it too. Can we expect to see more of that? I mean, they're already starting to run these ads against each other. Oh, I
2: think absolutely. I mean, you know, like I said, I've covered many cycles before. And in 2016, we saw this in very large part, not Mm -hmm. just with then-candidate Donald Trump and the other candidates, but a lot of you know, those kind of second-tier candidates kind of arguing among themselves. Here, we've seen that already happening a lot, especially with Governor Haley's PAC, her political action committee, um, going after Governor DeSantis and a lot of the Disney moves. A lot of that's coming from her, but it's also coming from her PAC, and that's kind of the role that we see these, these political committees kind of playing out. So yeah, we're definitely gonna see more of it for sure.
0: And when you talk to folks, like we were up in, uh, when we saw Nikki Haley and Greer the other day, like, what, what, what's the vibe there? I mean, obviously, we're, again, talking about Tim Scott, I'm just so confused about this lane that they're both going to be and how people are going to differentiate between them. What do you see being the deciding factors between those two, in your opinion, from what you've seen?
2: I mean, it's. I think there are a variety of things. I think there are some people who would probably say they want to see someone running for president who has executive experience. And mm-hmm. as a governor, clearly, that's something that she does have that he doesn't. Um, You know, he also hasn't been on the international stage. I mean, he's a senator and so he plays a role in foreign policy, but he's been focused a lot on banking and some other economic development issues. And so depending on kind of where you see maybe those two things factoring together, Um, But, you know, Senator Scott has said that, you know, if he's putting on a campaign, it's going to be positive that he's going to be focusing on the good that he sees that he could bring to this race and not kind of going after the other candidates and his competitors. Um, And that could be a vibe that people are looking for and frankly, maybe hungry for Mm -hmm. after the 2016 cycle and the 2020 cycle in a divisive world of politics. If people are looking for somebody with a positive message, maybe he's more their guy.
0: We all gotta stay positive. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, you know, I cover politics full yeah. time, so like it's hard. It's to interesting, not, <laughs> yeah. Right there, like everyone's
0: happy and nice right now, but we're right. gonna see it all oh, break yes. out. So Meg, with about 30 seconds, what are you looking for? Which should we be watching for in the next couple months, leading up to 2024? I
2: think we're gonna see more candidates getting in, and we're gonna see the candidates as they all kind of like congeal together in mm-hmm. the race, kind of figuring out where their lanes and who's gonna be going after whom on what issue. Mm-hmm. You know, abortion is clearly gonna continue to come up, and so that's gonna you know more people are gonna be putting their markers down and, and trying to parse through that but then depending on what's happening with the economy and the debate over the debt ceiling yep. that's something that candidates are certainly going to be asked to you know weigh in on and well how would you handle this if you were president that's real-world economic politics that affects everybody and so we're certainly going to be hearing candidates on that
0: a lot to look forward to so luckily we have people to do that for us Jeffrey Collins Matt Connor with the AP thank you guys so much
2: absolutely thank you, thank you.
0: Now the fun part of the show. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna do my, my improv. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do want to say thank you to everyone for being here. But let's open this up for the wind down. We're gonna do our little wind down for listening to the podcast. Yes. It's our little break from the news, even though sometimes we talk about the news. Uh, it's like the most podcast part of our podcast, if you will. We make yeah. We make we put it at the end <laughs> so, so you don't have to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Sounds this is good. when At gets to shine too. So, um, without further ado. Uh, welcome to the wind down section. Like I said, a little break from the break from the news. Oh, oh yes. A.T. Shire, our live taping with this, this great audience. Oh, we need them all up. the time. You oh. should see me on Mondays and Fridays. I'm always like this. The best I'm crowds are in, are in Columbia. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So let's throw out a controversial topic, A.T. So, what yes, do you have for us? Let's explain
3: this here a little bit. So at the wind down, I, I sort of just uh, I'm a. Uh, I'm an intolerant man. I, yes, it's contrarian, la- some would lactose say. Lactose intolerant <laughs> at, at all, you know. And so I have some hot takes. Meg understands. Uh, yes. I'm a strange, strange person. And so uh, to get down here, we normally talk about something that uh, Gavin and I really just want to uh, just shoot the breeze. You know what I mean? Yes. And so uh, a topic we've been on recently has been ChatGPT. Oh god, are they, okay. I thought you were going to say sandwiches, and I was like, not now. I was nope. not. I, I'm <laughs> avoiding sandwiches here. But so I asked ChatGPT. What's a funny hot take to talk to a live audience about? <laughs> and uh, it, it comes off the rails a little bit, so I'm going to read it to you, okay? Not ready for prime time. Com- combining humor with a hot take can be a great way to engage your audience and get them thinking. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Here are a few ideas for funny hot takes that you could talk to a live audience about. Okay, let me take notes. One, dogs are smarter than cats. Ooh. <laughs> Argue that dogs are not just man's best friend, but also smarter than cats, and provide examples to support your claim. I can't get down with that, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a certified cat guy. Yes, which just right. means, yeah. that just yes. means I like cats and dogs. Um, and so, number two, pineapples belong on pizza. Yes. Oh, I will
0: support that. I
3: see a lot of shaking heads, a lot of... I can't, I think that is sacrilege, thank you, Meg. No one's making you eat the pizza. Okay, and now I think it the gets The pineapple's
2: ruined cuz it's hot. It's
3: <laughs> it just it's it's so wet. Okay? <laughs> anyway, number 3 and this is where it gets weird. The earth is flat. <laughs> present the absurd argument that the earth is actually flat, and use humor to poke fun at conspiracy theories surrounding this topic. I'm not interested in that. I'm more interested in this next one. Cereal is soup. <laughs> the food, the the food hot the takes food? are always the most controversial. They're disgusting. But anyway, that's sort of what we're looking at. I, I was more on the idea that, uh, so the coronation was today. Gavin was yes. coronated earlier. Yes, I, uh, I flew back. We, didn't, we, didn't, we were not going to postpone the open house again. Again. We didn't want to va- burden everyone here with that. I'm still on the London Times. Yeah, so. Gavin's been on London Times for a while. Uh, but uh, so I'm I i I'm not a Prince Charles guy, King Charles. King, okay, thank you. So king. I thank thought you. we should name our favorite kings, pop culture, any other king or royalty uh, okay. otherwise. So, Gavin, okay. who's you your, your
0: favorite royal? Uh, I said Queen Elizabeth, but Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. Meg, who do you think?
2: So, wait, we're... I'm it it could be talk. real. It
0: could
3: be fake. I have
2: a clarification. It could be Captain so Crunch. like, any royalty, like, I mean, just... It,
3: it could be Mustafa. <laughs> you know what I mean? It could be Crown okay. Royal. Okay. It, no, it could be the Crown Royal. Prince. Prince.
0: Prince. Prince. Oh! Prince. Prince.
2: oh, yeah. oh yeah. Hey. Hey. Hey.
4: That's a
0: very
3: good
1: answer.
0: Johnny on the spot. Yeah. Jeffrey, Jeffrey. Jeffrey who's your Logan. favorite royal?
1: I was going to go with the Sun King. <laughs> Louis oh,
3: yeah, That's on. good. I love it. Oh, him. I think you are talking about Ra. <laughs> 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 well, that works too. So. <laughs> yeah. Don't want to offend him. I obviously am going <laughs> with uh, King Elessar Aragorn from Lord of the Rings. That's <laughs> obvious and very easy. <laughs>
0: that's the obvious answer.
3: <laughs> anyway. Uh, we can open it up to the crowd if anyone has anything that they would want to talk about. Amy has a microphone here. Let's <laughs> oh see God. her lurch uh, under this. Uh, so if anyone has anything, raise your hands. Amy will come find yeah, you. Yeah, and we in can talk audience.
0: about things obviously not related to oh, royalty or the lineup. But if you have questions anything. about like the legislature or the campaign trail, we can
2: also just talk about Prince. We can talk fine. about Prince. <laughs> I mean,
0: Raspberry Beret. Come please, on,
2: please. The movie. Uh,
0: so do we have any questions? Hands. I also appreciate everyone being respectful during the taping and knowing heckling during the live taping. I wanted more heckling, you know? Put the socks on. Why isn't he wearing socks? I might put some heckles in.
3: Guess go ahead, caller. I I did save my heckles, so thank you. Uh, The first one's really kind of for Meg. It seems with recent events, the economy's going to go from, and I don't mean debt ceiling economy. I mean the actual economy. It's going to go from more behind the scenes to a front and center issue. Um, by the time the election happens, do you think there's somebody who has an advantage uh, if that is the top topic, even though all the horses aren't out of the barn? Um, and, And the question is two parts and slightly less serious. I'm just wondering how the lead is, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally preparing for the release of Fast 10 on May 19th. So I'd like to see
1: what you guys' plans are for no that. will comment about two Fast points, and the Furious. <laughs> Take it away, Meg.
2: Uh, yeah, the first part of that, for sure. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, like I, I referenced when we were um, doing the, the earlier piece, you know, it's always the issues about the economy are the ones that voters tell us they're really most concerned about. You know, you go to an event and you're like, okay, so what do you think about this person mm-hmm. or that person? And maybe they'll you know, mention a few other things, but oftentimes it always comes back to, how am I gonna do better? How's my family gonna do better? How's my job secure and all this? I think that you know, in some ways there could be people who look at like Senator Tim Scott's candidacy with his position on the Senate Banking Committee. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he really has a front row seat to a lot of these issues as they get debated. I mean, you know, all of these, these senators, we have like two Twitter accounts from them, right? Like he has Vote Tim Scott, and this is not a plug, this is just a fact, like that's his political Twitter account. But then he also has Senator Tim Scott, and you know, we have to follow both of them, and I'm getting all the political tweets over here, but over here, it's like a lot of like reminders of what he's doing on the Senate Banking Committee, like all the time, and like YouTube notifications and everything else I get. So, I mean, I'm not you know, pushing for anybody as a candidate, but certainly he is one who you know, is, as we speak right now, in the Senate, working on a lot of those financial issues um, and, you know, there there could be, if he leverages some of that with voters, yeah. you know, that could be a way that he tries to appeal to them.
0: Then I also see Nikki Haley constantly talking about, you know, saving the economy in South Carolina back from the recession, growing the economy, all that
2: Should stuff Should I say too. the phrase? Please. Beast of the Southeast. <laughs> she says it a lot yeah. in terms of, and she's like, they. I didn't say it. One but they magazine said it. article. One magazine article. Yeah. They love is, the media when
0: they say things like it's that. It's in
2: every stump speech, reminding people of all the jobs that you know yeah. she kind of presided over as governor, coming to South Carolina. So you and know, you can she does see
0: make that. Probably Trump doing the same thing too. So. Oh, certainly. Yeah.
2: I mean, and he has you know his position formerly as president. You yeah. know, he could talk about all the good economic things that he did, and like you know his argument would be kind of bringing the economy back after the Obama. A presidency you know i mean mm-hmm. he would make a lot of those arguments too
0: no fast and the furious take,
3: uh <laughs> meg like Sh- ha- meg likes hobbs and shaw so yeah.
2: i do she that's liked
3: true. it gavin yeah. just has a problem with it and that's his own hang-up <laughs> <laughs> and uh we uh, i'm gonna let him have it anyway do we have any more questions out there yeah <laughs> anything it could be absolutely anything yeah you have okay. access to these great reporters okay. here
2: very special one
3: Oh god. Oh, That's hello. Fence. Hi, uh, long-time <laughs> listener, first-time caller. Yeah, we can't
2: see you. Uh, oh, oh, who oh. is that? <laughs> uh, one of those who
3: the house is that lights. Voice? Who is that voice? Hi, my name is Vance Cobb Lugo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we is- thought you were somebody else. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. This I'm just I'm just, just curious, short. are you guys going to retract any of your defamatory statements about <laughs> Vince Cole Blugo and liking candy corn. It, I don't see any problem. It's in the scrolls at this point. Uh, I don't see any problem with it. Vince, okay, let's get some backstory here. Okay. Yeah. So go ahead. Vince will eat anything. And we have that in common. We Gavin and Vince Put have out that in, that in common. Bean bag. We just yeah. got. <laughs> I do care. I, Apple, a pineapple I, and pizza. Uh, in case ugh, in point. Disgusting. <laughs> but I am of the opinion that candy corn falls under the umbrella of anything, Mm. and he is staunchly against it. But I think if you just put it across from his office every day for a week, he would eat all that candy corn. (laughs) And I'm gonna double down. I'm not, I'm not, he's, you can serve me papers, Vince. I'm not backing down on this.
2: Candy corn is basically just like flavored plastic,
3: right? It's microplastics. I don't know if it's flavor, but it is (laughs) microplastics. Hi,
4: I just wanted to ask if you have any thoughts about what's going to happen with the debt ceiling? Are they going to let the clock run out and not do anything again and put us all in bad shape?
0: Yeah, I mean, I asked Nikki Haley about that, and she didn't really give me a clear answer. Yeah. So, but I mean, I can't imagine them going forward. To, I mean, that's just it's inconceivable, Unfortunately, essentially. Yeah, because so much is at stake. The economy's at yeah. stake, your retirement's at stake, the stock market. I mean, People are gonna maybe making calls and be like, hey, cut it out. Let's just pass a clean bill at this point, yeah. talk about, you know, budget cuts later, because <laughs> you can't hold the whole world economy hostage. Yeah, I
2: mean, and oftentimes, you know, I mean, I, I hate to sound like a cynic, but I am a political journalist. Um, <laughs> you know, in, in Washington, we see these deadlines come up, and it's like everyone freaks out, and there's weeks and weeks of consternation, and, you know, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, hair on fire, what are we going to do? But then ultimately, something does get passed and brokered at the 11th hour, and that's unfortunate, because there was so much energy expended, you know, during the worrying period, Um, I don't hope that we get to that ultimate you know really down to the wire deadline but I do hope something gets passed and it's it's tough when you look at the politics of Congress right now because you know there's been a lot of talk of speaker Kevin McCarthy you know who as we all may remember if you're nerds like me took 15 votes for him to get voted into the speakership and so that was kind of like not a great way to start and then you know now it's like hi guys like can you get your people together so they can get this bill and You know, that's kind of an uncomfortable position for him to be in. But then there's also the argument of folks who look at, you know, the Republican um, consternation about being able to get a bill out. Well, we're under a Democrat in the White House, and so if things do tend to fall apart, and unfortunately the economy does, you know, go into a bad situation. That's a Democratic president's problem, and we're in an election cycle, and so potentially, maybe that could be spun to be bad for the Democratic incumbent. Again, that's all a whole bunch of layers of what if mm-hmm. and pessimism, frankly. Um, and I would hope no one actually really would feel that way, but I mean, the argument's out there. Um, I feel like you know we'll we'll get down to the wire, and something will happen, but it really could be down to the very last minute.
0: Yeah, with us. The economy and the stock market watching every second of it, too. And
2: our parents watching their yes. you know, <laughs> daily dose of financial television freak out, um, for sure. Uh,
0: I got a question for
3: Jeffrey. Yes. Every year we have you on talking about session, and every year you have, like, a sleeper pick for something that's gonna come out. So we're halfway through this two-year session. What do you see, the se- like, what, what sleeper thing is coming out of this second year of session?
1: Give me a second to think about this. Let's see. So, what would be the issue that will?
2: The come man with forward? like the encyclopedic South exactly. Carolina legislative yes. brain.
1: Yeah. You know, I think in the end, I, I think that we we. I, you know what? I think will get some traction, and I think she'll work really hard on is Katrina Shealy and her uh, idea that South Carolina should pay for school lunches for everyone. Mm-hmm. I think um, she's working really hard on that, and I just have a feeling that that's going to be something that comes about. Yeah. Yeah.
3: That's a great pick. I mean, you've, you've been right almost every single time. And so I love that that you're calling this one. I, told I like you they already know what the news is. Oh, yeah. We we, yeah
0: <laughs> this is all. Spoiler alert, don't, we don't do Don't tell AT it. about
1: the meeting.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I have my own camera, OK, Jeffrey? So yeah, okay. I'm an important
0: guy now. <laughs> We've given you too much power. I'm driven with power. As reporters, constantly I see a reporter asking a politician a question. that. Politician would dance around the answer. After a while, it's like, what was the question? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a reporter, hold those politicians feet under the fire. They're here to represent us, yeah. not their party, not their friends, but us. Please,
4: yeah.
0: start asking them those tough questions since they want to get in the fire and demand answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I Agreed. Agreed. tried to pin down Nikki Haley on a couple times and just, we, kept you, moving around it, but you also get to see them not answer the question, too. So maybe someone who does mm-hmm. answer the question, you can at least give them it's, some support there. Of like, oh, yeah. that person's going to answer the question? I, okay, like, it makes it's, more sense. It's nearly
3: yeah. as informative of so, as yeah. someone answering mm-hmm. the question, not answering the
0: question. But I agree, like, yes. Because yeah. you also yeah. see some people interview folks, and it's just like... Throwing up a topic and right. a and response, just, you know, it's like no, you need to hold it's them not, accountable. It's <laughs> not a real
2: interview if it's just like a spew of talking points, which is great. But like, I can get that if I'm just like a supporter, listen to your stump speech, or going to your website to mm-hmm. get your whatever. Like, no, I, you're absolutely right. I want to hear your take right now on whatever this issue is, because if you're asking people for their vote, if you're asking people for their support, their money, all those things, I mean, that's accountability journalism, is asking, okay, great, you want all those things, well, how do you feel about this? You know, what are you contributing to this, this debate? And it is very frustrating to be talking to public officials of any variety, of any level, or candidates who are seeking to be a public official and have them just blatantly not answer questions. Um, that is beyond frustrating. It's probably one of the most frustrating pieces of our jobs. So, thank you for your support, and I promise we will continue to ask those questions. Well,
1: and you know, sometimes I think it's important, like they said, sometimes it's when they don't answer the question, it says something like some, you know, somebody said about jazz. Sometimes it's the silence between the notes that makes it interesting. And sometimes, uh, you know, for example, in the last month or so, I wanted to ask. Henry McMaster, you know the governor, about his position on hate crimes and why he feels that way. And he's been asked that a bunch of different times in a bunch of different ways and he has a very standard pat answer. But sometimes as a reporter, you have to ask the question in a way that forces someone out of their comfort zone. And what I did with the governor was I said, Governor, you're a former prosecutor. Mm-hmm. As a former prosecutor, would you have wanted a hate crimes law as a tool that you could have used to prosecute criminals? And it took him a minute. He had to think through the answer and, and give an answer that made sense to my question as opposed to something he's always used to doing. And so, as a reporter, I agree with you completely. It's, it's, a, it's, it's pushing people out of their comfort zone. It's not asking, what do you think about abortion, but maybe instead asking them, well, you know, what's what you know, asking the question that along the lines of, well, what would you say to a woman who has an topic pregnancy? I mean, sometimes it's pushing people out of their comfort zone is what we need and to do. And
2: in that circumstance, sometimes we're met with the immediate answer of, well, I don't deal in hypotheticals. Yeah. You know, but like so much of this is like, well, if you were president, you know, if you're candidate for president, that's inherently a hypothetical situation, so like yeah. you should be able to go there, but... We get that a lot
1: too. Like to know what you think about the hypothetical before I give you the job, you know? How many of us have been <laughs> yeah. interviewed for a job exactly. that question? Yeah.
3: A lot of this is reminding about my reminding me about how Gavin pivoted away from Fast and Furious earlier. Did you see that? When Gabe yes. asked this question.
2: Well, when you hold him no. accountable, folks. Yes. Yes. yes.
3: When you deal with these folks, you pick up some of the tricks. I, guess. I thought ifs <laughs> was about family, Gavin. Okay. <laughs>
0: okay, that's all the time Lead we have. It's been so
4: wonderful. <laughs>
0: but we are getting to that hour. But do we have any more questions? Or we have plenty of time too. We can take photos, we can talk afterwards as well. Wrap um, Oh, we, we got, got one. a oh. question. We got a question here.
4: <laughs> Hi, I just wanted to find out um, about a specific issue that's dear to me um, since I work in the nonprofit sector and that's about women's health. South Carolina ranks very low in terms of maternal, infant, and uh, women's health issues, particularly in deaths, when it comes to women giving birth or uh, women surviving the birth of their child, um, infants in South Carolina, as a nation, as a part of the country, were very low in that. And and when it comes to the United States, we're very low in terms of women, maternal, and infant health issues. And I'm just curious as to whether or not any legislative issues are coming up in terms of women, children, and health issues.
1: That's been one of the 100%. One of the things that surprised me a little bit about this session is because there was a lot of talk when Roe versus Wade was overturned about, yes, we're gonna to try to get this close to total abortion ban, but on the other side, we're gonna do good things for the children and the people that are here right now. Hasn't been a lot of talk about that, honestly, in 2023. I mentioned Katrina Sheely and her lunch bill, which in a way would improve children's lives across the board. Um, part of the, the thing in South Carolina is you know in the 21st century we've had a time in South Carolina where there were no women in the state senate where there are 46 male state senators and you know about south carolina's 51 to 52% women i mean that makes that that's incredible i mean the governor every day puts a little uh, easel outside a picture of the women of the women who have been lawmakers the fact that you can fit that even even boggles my mind, you know? I mean, when you think about there's 170 people in the legislature at any one time, the fact that you could fit all the women that have ever served up there is kind of mind boggling. So if there's anything that's gonna change that, I think it's getting a state that looks more and more uh, the, the way South Carolina looks. I mean, they're obviously outside of white men, everybody's kind of underrepresented, underrepresented as far as you know, genders, and as far as races, and, and certainly if you want to get into religion and all those other factors. And so, I mean, part of it is, I think if we can figure out a way to make the, to elect the people that look more like the state in general, then that will change the way that the, what the agenda is at the Statehouse. Mm-hmm.
0: Last question.
2: Um, you mentioned Senator Davis's medical marijuana bill, so I was just curious, like, do you have a sense of why that's been blocked in the past and what the future for that bill might be?
1: I think, in general, it's uh, one of the key people that are against it is law enforcement. And that carries a lot of weight with the opponents of it. I mean, if I think if law enforcement gave their, even their tactic appro- approval to it then, it, then that would be, they would be able to pass it. I think that's the biggest thing against it right now i'm not sure exactly this year is an interesting case i figured it would come out fairly easily out of the senate so i'm not sure and, and it's being politics it could be any number of things people know tom davis wants it really bad so there may be a couple of senators that are wanting to horse trade with him you know they want to get him to do this in order to get that i mean it could be something as simple as that um I, tom davis is so determined i don't bet against him i wouldn't bet against him on this at some point and and, and the world is changing too so um I still think that, that AT may be the 2024 thing, too. That yeah. may end up being what they, what they deal with right at the beginning. But, yeah, I think the key to it, if they want to get past it, is law enforcement. I think that's the thing that's, that catches it up, that it kind of
0: holds it up the most right now.
3: That was my most compelling audio from the well on the floor of the yeah. house this I mean, year.
0: Well, that's all we have for this portion. I want to say thank you all for being here. Thanks to the Associated Press and ETV and Public Radio. Kobe! <laughs> Kobe! Thanks again for everyone who came out to see us in Columbia. And for folks who didn't get to see us, again, give us a shout, 803-563-7169. Let us know where we should go to next. And again, thanks for listening to the pod. Show us your appreciation by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or a voicemail. Like I said, 803-563-7169. And you can stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. Hi, everybody. Uh, Thank you for clapping. I really appreciate that. I'm I'm going (laughs) to take over the show now. There's going to be no podcast. It's just going to be me. Oh, very nice. (laughs) It's it's just one giant improv show. (laughs) It's just one giant (laughs) I need one word from someone in the audience.
4: Anniversary. (laughs) (laughs)